One of our pupils, Susan Foreman, came into this yard. Really? In here? Young man, is it reasonable to suppose that anybody would be inside a cupboard like that? Mm. What do you say, Perry? We can go on nature walks, have picnics, and jolly evenings around the campfire. Gentlemen, I've got news for you. This lighthouse is under attack, and by morning we might all be dead. It's a brilliant idea. It's so simple, only you could have thought of it. Oh. I'm the doctor. These are my new best friends. I'm the doctor, and if there's one thing I can do, it's talk. This is the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast with your host, Eric Branson. My dear, I don't think he's as stupid as he seems. My dear, nobody could be as stupid as he seems. Now drop your weapons, or I'll kill him with this deadly jelly, baby. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. On this podcast, we travel all of time and space discussing Doctor Who in a completely random order. Today we've landed on episode 6, The Hand of Fear. More like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. I'm going to need a swap team ready to mobilise street-level maps covering all of Florida, a pot of coffee, 12 jammy dodgers and a fez. An apple a day keeps the, uh... No, never mind. Allons-y. I'm sorry? It's French. Well, let's go. Hey everyone, and welcome back to this episode of the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. If my count is correct, I believe this is episode number six. And uh, just to do a little bit of housekeeping before I introduce my illustrious uh, panelists here, um, I'm going to be changing yet again or tweaking the uh, way that we're doing the show. And just uh, because, not that I don't absolutely love doing it, but because I... um, I've just run into a couple of time constraints with getting this thing out every month. And instead of spending, you know, um, limitless amounts of time editing and tweaking and, and getting a long or 90 minute episode ready for you, I'd rather, uh, you know, be able to give you the episodes more often. So we're going to go, we're going to kind of trim down and, uh, you know, tell the randomizer to limit us to just one um, Doctor Who adventure every t- uh, every month that we, um, and hopefully we will be a little more consistent with getting these things out. So um, we will continue to use the random selection tool. So yeah, it's always an op- op- possibility we'll be looking at a tv story an audio adventure or a um book non-fiction or fiction doctor who book but we will um yeah just be doing one of one item every month now so until further notice who knows i i may <laughs> get some free time and uh, expand a little bit more try to do a couple episodes a month or whatever but we'll uh, we'll see how that goes but without any further ado um let me introduce to you, my two guest hosts for this month, and that is from the Doctor Who Collectors podcast, Mr. Larry Van Mersbergen has returned to the Police Box of the Junkyard podcast. How's it going, Larry? Uh, doing great, Eric, and always great to be on the podcast with you here. It's a wonderful show, and I, I follow it uh, all the time, so it's great. Oh, thank you. I think that that is the one confirmed person that's listening to it. So I appreciate it. (laughs) There's got to be a couple more out there. I see the plays come through on SoundCloud. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and also joining us again on the on the podcast, uh, as always, which pretty much my my co-host here at this point on the police box, the junkyard podcast, Mr. Yeah. Yes, we should. We should. <laughs> if you don't mind me making you read all this random stuff, I'm always happy to have you. So, but, um, like you said, it's always fun to read Doctor Who stuff. So. Yeah, it's it's not really like a homework assignment. Right? No. You don't have to twist <laughs> no. your arm too hard. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I'm I'm excited to have you guys here, and we've just come off of a pretty exciting weekend of all things Doctor Who. We just finished up the first ever 
all virtual uh, Chicago TARDIS, which is our local here in Chicago. Um, I should say my local here in Chicago, uh, Doctor Who convention. And this year, due to obviously to the uh, COVID um, situation, was done entirely online. So via Zoom um, and streamed via Facebook and, and YouTube. And I was really impressed with the, the wonderful job the guys over there, both uh, Stephen Warren Hill and Nick Seidler and, and their crew. I mean, many, many other people involved in that, putting that event on, um, just did a fantastic job of keeping the spirit of Chicago TARDIS alive. And uh, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great weekend. And um, do you guys, uh, how, how'd you think everything went with Chicago TARDIS? Like, well, I'll say I thought it was great. Uh, I was on several panels. I even did a solo show at the beginning, and I thought it was handled very well. The tech team was super supportive. Um, it was nice to even see the final product later uh, on YouTube and Facebook, and then the numerous comments that came in from all over the world. And it was, uh, I think, a reach that if we did this live, I think normally we'd get, what, 20 to 30 people in a room, but we may have had as many as 400 or 500 views. Yeah. So this was definitely a, a well-handled thing. And I, I like the way that Nick and and, um, and Stephen came on at the beginning and kind of introduced and then kind of wrapped it up and got everybody ready for the next one. And they were on time with almost every, uh, every one of them with very few glitches. Uh, yeah. So I thought it was handled extremely well. And I know that um, I know from the inside information that they weren't going to do this at all unless it could be free to everybody. Yeah, which is incredible. I think that's a really cool, um, just really great of the, the people that put yeah. that together. And, and Gene Smith, I know, is kind of the mastermind of, mm -hmm. of Chicago yeah. TARDIS, who also runs the Doctor Who store, Alien Entertainment. Um, but they, uh, yeah, just I guess I, I really just want to, go on record as I have many times already, but thank them again for a wonderful weekend. But Asad, how was your experience of Chicago Tardis? I mean, our panel went really well, I thought, and um, I didn't get a chance to check it out as much as I wanted to over the weekend. But the nice thing is that since it's there on Facebook or YouTube, I can uh, catch up with it uh, anytime I want and keep adding to the comments and feedback. So. That's right. Yeah. And that, that's something I should mention to anybody out there listening to the show. I assume it's it's going to be there in, in perpetuity. So it's um, if you want to check out Chicago TARDIS 2020, check out their YouTube channel, um, their Facebook page, and you should be able to find these panels um, that we participate. Some of us participated on all of us participated, participated in some way <laughs> over the <Yeah>. weekend. <laughs> and um yeah, it's so it's so it's there for everybody to enjoy. So please, if you haven't yet and you're hearing this, uh, consider going and checking out some of that material because there's really some great stuff, including celebrity interviews with, uh, you know, Eighth Doctor actor Paul McGann, um, uh, Seventh Doctor companion uh, Sophie Aldred, who played Ace on the show, and uh, the crew for Big Finish, Nicholas Briggs and Jason Hay Gallery, uh, Lisa Greenwood. Mm -hmm. um, so if you recognize any of those names and are interested, please go check that out. And, uh, and of course, you'll see myself and Assad and Larry all over the place as well. But <laughs> which uh, which should be worth your time just just for just for us. Right. So absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a great weekend. And I'm uh, kind of feeling the the convention hangover a little bit, which I'm surprised because I really, you know, I didn't leave my home, but it's uh you know, just a lot of stuff, a lot of staring at the screen, a lot of being intensely interested in what was going on. Um, so we're going to continue the fun today. And we're going to, uh, the randomizer has selected a uh, great episode for us today. And um, 
we are going to talk about the fourth Doctor adventure, The Hand of Fear, starring Tom Baker and Elizabeth. Attention all personnel. Attention all personnel. An emergency exists in the neutron fission reactor in sector four. We found a hand in the quarry. It was petrified, totally inert. Dead. Inert, yes. Dead, maybe not. I think your sample's been quietly absorbing radiation from the machine. What the devil do you think you're doing? She nearly caused a major nuclear disaster. I beg you to help me save Castro once more. Take me back through time. It's time we got out of here. Fight fire with fire. I'm going to call in the armed forces. Destroy that thing before it causes any more harm. Um, and let me get you guys. Well, um we're introducing this thing a quick synopsis and this synopsis comes from the doctor who program guide you're not gonna be able to see it but that's okay the doctor who program guide uh by gene mark and uh is it john mark and randy lofister is that how i how we Los, say that losifier i believe losifier yeah i could tell it's french so i, I knew i was gonna butcher that unfortunately but apologies to them if they're still around anyway but um yeah so the hand of fear back on 20th century earth's is in fact the hand of Eldrad, a Castrian criminal executed by his own race. Eldrad's hand forces Sarah to go inside a nuclear reactor station where it regenerates itself by absorbing the energy released in an explosion. To save Earth from Eldrad's powers, the Doctor is forced to take him back to Castria. But in the 150 million year interval since Eldrad's execution, Castria's civilization has ended. Eldrad attempts to regenerate his race, but fails because of the measures taken centuries ago by King Rokon as a precaution against Eldrad's possible return. The Doctor and Sarah leave Castria, abandoning Eldrad to his solitary fate. The Doctor receives a telepathic summons from Gallifrey and, much to her it says her dismay in the book, I believe, much to, yes, much to her dismay, has to say goodbye to Sarah. That's an odd sentence. Yeah. I think it yeah. is actually much to his dismay. His dismay, yeah. Him, and that's what I tripped on when reading it. So anyway, yeah, uh, yeah so it is the um, final, or the goodbye, not final goodbye, uh, the go goodbye to uh, Sarah Jane Smith in the classic series. She's, of course, comes back uh, in a school reunion and then has a spinoff show of her own in the, you know, starting in 2007 um, and until the unfortunate um, early death of Liz Sladen. Um, but yeah, so she becomes, you know, a, a fixture of the new Who series as well uh, after this. But yeah, so she her almost had her own well. spinoff too. Yeah. Even yeah. earlier. <laughs> yep. Well, K9 and company. Yeah, right. that's right. Yeah. And and also, if uh, if they had gone with the original story idea, there wouldn't be any spinoffs because the original script called for Sarah to be killed off in this yes, episode. It did. <laughs> uh, this I, is I, this was I our believe her. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Larry. I believe oh, her her death actually survived two drafts and and kind of transformed into two like from two different stories. Originally, it was a story called I, I the, had it written down the lost the lost legion. Lost Legion. That's right. Yep. yep. And that was going to kill Sarah. And then somehow Sarah's death made it in into Bob Baker and Dave Martin's script for uh, the hand of fear as well yep. um, in early drafts. And then, um, yeah. So I, I know this tends to be their thing. Like that is their like, Oh, someone's leaving. We should kill them off. Like, you know, kind of soap opera style where it has to be like a big, you know, something a big send off in some way. They have to die or have some terrible uh, thing happen to them, and it does happen. Like marriage. 
<laughs> right getting them married off which you know depending on you know it may be in like perry's case is a fate worse than death but... <laughs> well and and of course that's what happened with joe grant uh she mm. got married off and then that was it the doctor is like okay well that's fine you're you're gonna do that and i'm gonna go this way and yeah. uh and joe of course brings that back up in the sarah jane adventure uh which right which i thought she addressed very well it's like um <laughs> hello <laughs> i'm still here but no there were a lot of interesting things in the original draft uh that uh between uh bob baker dave martin and philip hinchcliffe who is still running the show uh they for one thing they were going to call this creature omega and they said well we can't do that um and you if you Didn't remember their homework there on that <laughs> The other thing that was supposed to be part of this was the Brigadier and Harry Sullivan, but neither actor yep. were available. Uh, Patrick Stewart was originally cast as Professor Watson, but then couldn't do it due to <laughs> other commitments. So they got this other guy. So that would have been a cool thing if that had happened. Uh, and yeah, I guess that... the original character for Drax from the Armageddon Factor was supposed to be introduced into this story, but was scrapped and then put on the side for a later thing. So there was a lot of interesting things that came into the original idea, but then the hand of fear replaced this entire um, idea. And it's uh, it's a, it, it's definitely an interesting twist, but Elizabeth Sladen made it very clear. She did not want to be married off or killed. Yes. And that was her person. Yeah. I guess they were originally planning to kill off the brigadiers. So the script seemed yes. like it's going yes. to be deadly this for was, somebody. <laughs> this was going to be, this was going to be a bad thing for everyone. So I thought, yeah. I'm glad that they they thought, oh, let's not kill anybody off. And just... no, I mean, they ended up killing Dr. Carter. And I don't know if that really counts because he was, you know, the one um, just yeah. a temporary character. I was but... kind of unhappy about that. But... <laughs> yeah, I was too, because I I thought he was a really strong character just for the short period of time he well, was there. And then he was, yeah, he was, a, he was believing this whole thing. He was like, okay, yeah. let's, let's, uh, and oh, and the other thing too that they bring in here is that they're at the Newton Power Complex, which is from Claws of Axos. So, yes. The, yep. the, the same the same nuclear facility so i thought that was interesting too uh, it was yeah, supposed yeah. to be the newton power complex but then right. it became they, the they changed power it. Complex. right they changed it <laughs> <laughs> again they made it like well we better change that too but yeah it, just it looks exactly the same but it's you know it's just right. a couple letters different and it's down the road a little bit or something right. you know, like <laughs> but, you know nuclear complexes yeah. in britain eh. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> they blow up all the time <laughs> clearly so for hand of fear, I just for we'll and we'll dive back into it in a second. But um, I know Larry, you've probably seen this one many times, and most likely yes. starting off <laughs> pretty close to it. It was contemporary. But um, Assad, had you seen this one before? Or was this the... this one? I had I had not seen it, and I had not uh, read the novelization either. So it's like that handful of Doctor Who episodes Ooh. that I was, apart from knowing what that what happens specifically at the end, I was um, quite unfamiliar with it. So it was uh, quite a lot of fun to see. Yeah, so this one yeah. was fresh to you. Yeah. And awesome. That's uh, and I... in some ways, I think actually, I've in this, I've sort of been rewatching, doing the rewatch of everything, and I've kind of developed more of an appreciation of Bob Baker and Dave Martin's stuff. I think <laughs> I used to think they were a little more pedestrian, but uh, I don't know. I've developed more of an appreciation of um, that and some of their characterization of minor characters and uh, things like that. So. I'm not a big fan of their tendency to give um, aliens and creatures catchphrases because that's something that yeah. can get a little overdone. But, right. Um, but yeah. And for those that don't know, um, Bob Baker and Dave Martin are the two writers that will go on to create uh, K9 later on in the um, in the uh, 
Adventures of the Doctor a couple years after this. Uh, actually, I think that the following year, um, following season, at least they yeah. Will, uh, yeah give us that character. So that kind of puts you in a in a in a framework of like what kind of writers I think Bob and Dave are. Like that's uh, but that doesn't mean all of their stuff is bad in any way. It's just um, you're right. They're they're a bit kitschy. They're into the catchphrases. They like the uh, you know mm-hmm. they came up with a robot dog that was kind of the king of the catchphrase and for a while on the show and uh, but i forget was it only bob baker who made wallace and gromit or was dave martin still partner with him you know i i'm not sure i realized he was involved with that i know the uh animation house that did um wallace and gromit but i didn't i didn't realize his uh he was involved yeah, in no. that that was he created them I, I, i'm not sure if both of them were because i guess their partnership dissolved and Dave Martin hmm. passed away later, but I know that Bob Baker at least was involved with creating Wallace yeah, and Gromit. It's, it's actually just Bob, just Bob Baker. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that was that's news to me, and that's stuff I've I've, I've seen quite a few times that I didn't realize he, he was involved. So. He was the he was the head writer and creator of Wallace and Gromit. Yeah. Cool. That's yeah. Pretty, I, pretty cool. <laughs> I, I the name is eluding me, but it, it's a. Uh, his name maybe like Mike Park or somebody who's the the animator or Nick, the yeah Nick, the, Nick, Nick Park. Park Nick, Nick Park. Park yep uh, always get that confused with the guy that runs Asian Man Records I don't know who's Mike something Park as well but um, the uh, but yeah no that's all interesting I didn't realize he was involved with that that's very cool no. um, so Larry when did you think when do you think you first saw the Hand of Fear and was it um, I know I saw it back in either 1980 or 1981. Um, and it's, uh, I remember seeing it in four parts. They uh, ran them in Chicago from 5.30 to 6 every day uh, back in the day. And I just remember the the cliffhangers being really good uh, yeah. in this one. There were some really good ones, especially the one where the thing crushes Eldrad. And that's where the, and I'm like, oh boy, that's, that's a twist. <laughs> and, uh, oh. But uh, there was some, it was an interesting way to see it when I was younger. And then I've watched it probably 15 times since then yeah. um as as i think it's a it's a great season ender and and of course i rewatched hand of fear again when school reunion came out because i wanted to be reminded of how how things left before sarah jane comes back and is, is <laughs> of course a little put off by going ah you left me in the middle of nowhere <laughs> right you know that uh, and so yeah, there was and- just, uh, there was there was a lot to, as as I got older I watched the story and I got to love the story a little bit more and there's some great acting in this story as well uh, some real uh, Roy Skelton gives a great yes. performance as King Rokon um, and Judith uh, Paris uh, playing the female Eldrad you'll see her in the Crown next year by the way oh yeah. Yep, she's so. she's fantastic in this and um, what's his name is it David Purcell that plays yes. um, Abbott the 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 what would you call him the chief or whatever of the nuclear station yeah um, yeah that he's just really really great in this too and that's and like like Assad mentioned like that's one of the strengths of the script I think is its characters its side characters being kind of instantly interesting and engaging Dr. Carter's a really great kind of I think kind of plays a little bit of a John Watson to you know um yeah the doctor Sherlock in, in this sense. Um, and then unfortunately he's, he's killed off way too fast, but I think right. Abbott takes over as kind of the next um, character. And although he's not as uh, warm and, you know, cuddly and <laughs> as, as perhaps Dr. Carter was, I think he's, he does something with the character that could just be your average, like screamy, you know, um, 
boss kind of character that you get in a lot of the especially the base under siege stories uh back in the trout era you'd always have one of those you know kind of (laughs) yeah the head guy that would just kind of be there to yell and be contrary to the doctor in every way and i I was thinking the moon base guy he was always oh yeah yeah yeah. like like or and even at the end where he's like ah ah we've we don't need him anyway (laughs) like let's (laughs) just get to work yeah this character's name is watson so he would have been the professor watson But yeah, he comes out really. He's uh, he's courageous. He's dedicated to his job. He gets a little scene where he calls his family to say goodbye, which is not something that you see very often in uh, Doctor Who. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And especially, I mean, he's he's kind of at first he's just kind of seems like he's one of those kind of hard as nails guys, and he's gonna. Um, but then he, yeah, his armor does kind of come off, and when he he thinks there's a good chance he might not be walking out of that place, and he makes that phone call, it's like, wow, that's a really great great scene and he's doing stuff i mean obviously that's from a script standpoint but i think uh david purcell does some really great things with the character too you really believe it and you know there's some pathos to that and uh there's a couple of places in this episode and we'll talk about you know sarah leaving towards towards the end here but um where there's some really strong sense of of pathos I, i always feel like um new who fans sometimes will make the criticism that that is missing from some of the classic and and um episodes or there's just not as much of it and and they're correct because television was just a different beast, but I certainly think it's there. And I certainly think that Tom Baker and Liz Sladen played it for that in that. And then, and then David Purcell in this, uh, in that scene as well. I mean, it's, um, you know, there's some heartstring tugging going on intentionally there. So the, the classic series is not devoid of these things. Yeah. So it's, this is one for me, I guess I didn't uh, mention my personal history with it, that I saw first upon my original watch through of the series. Um, it's one I revisited as kind of my, I don't know why I ended up choosing this one. I don't remember my thought process, but I was showing my wife some episodes of the classic series way back, which she's a bit lukewarm on like some of them and, and not as much. She's more of a fan of the newer stuff. Um, but the... Uh, she was curious about seeing something that Sarah Jane was in. And for some reason, this was the one I picked perhaps not the strongest Sarah Jane episode, but um, I don't know. There's something about it that Tom and uh, Liz, Liz Sladen are just, they have it down so well by this point, like they are just bouncing back and forth off each other. They're almost perfect. Like, note for note, perfect throughout this episode and a few others just prior to this, they just have their, their chemistry and it's, unfortunate i feel like that this was it you know like i feel like there's this could have gone on for another season um and you just these two actors were just in sync by this point and they were just they were just doing the doctor companion thing absolutely perfectly arguably you know the most perfect anyone's ever got like this is usually the one people will pull out of and maybe it's maybe it's people that are a little bit a little more casual fans but they'll be you know they're like you think of the of the doctor you know a lot of times you'll get it depends who you're talking to. You get Tom Baker, you get David Tennant, right? But you get, you know, mm-hmm. the companion and you're either going to get, you know, Sarah Jane or probably Rose, but, <laughs> right, so, right. Um, but yeah, anyway, just a compliment to them in this, but, but yeah, so I pulled this out and to show her, my wife that, and um, I think that would have been the only two times I saw it prior to this. Uh, it's one that I have a, kind of complicated opinion of and we'll get into that a little more later mm-hmm. i i don't absolutely love it it's not going to land on a favorite list but there's some right. favorite moments like of the mm-hmm. entire series like that are in this in this story so um yeah it's interesting so 
technical wise, this is a, I really like when, you know, uh, we talked about this last time when we, well, uh, last time the three of us were together, we talked about the sun makers. Right. Um, Doctor Who is always a lot of fun when it, you know, classic who, when it gets outside of the studio. So this guy's some, some cool locations shooting, like you were talking about the, uh, old Barry nuclear power station, uh, where it was right. shot. And, um, so yeah, the location shooting's really cool. Um, I really like, I, like I just said, the doctor and Sarah bouncing off each other is a favorite thing of mine. Um, what did you guys like just initial impressions? What do you, what do you guys like about it? What's, uh, well, I'll, I'll say that it, it was impressive that it takes place in a quarry that's a real quarry as opposed to an alien planet. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of right off the bat, but they also used a real explosion um, at the at the quarry to, mm -hmm. to do this. And it was a very, uh, very uh, interesting, you know, it looked real. It looked like everybody was in danger when it happened. And um, I thought there was, and I know uh, Tom Baker did a little bit of stunt work um, on his own, but uh, usually his, his stunt double would do that. But the whole and then I guess the whole idea of the of watching the hand move on its own, I thought that was pretty cool for the time period, you know, in the 70s mm -hmm. that they were able to do that. Um, and I guess that idea came from a horror movie that uh, mm -hmm. one of the writers had seen. And so I thought that was pretty cool. And there were I mean, the uh, of course, um, and you've got Sarah Jane who's putting on this this amazing performance, but she's wearing this really ridiculous outfit. <laughs> Yeah. And at which I guess she called Andy Pandy later. Yeah, so joking around, I think they, they the clothes are similar to there's a uh, what was it a animated show I believe or claymation or something from the yeah. 70s or uh, 60s and 70s, but a children's show in the UK called Andy Pandy and just just the, the red stripe kind of get up is uh, with the big star on the front and yeah, yeah. and. <laughs> Sarah or uh, Elizabeth Sladen was talking about it in one of the documentaries that was on the Blu-ray, and uh, she said that it was a piece of clothing that literally came up basically off of shelf. They didn't, uh, they went out and you know somebody went out and picked this thing out. <laughs> yeah, you know, unfortunately, but um, the only thing they did was add the stars to the front of it. it was uh, original for the for the show, but otherwise it was something they they picked out. Um, it is one of my least favorite costuming decisions, but it's certainly. Yes. <laughs> uh, Certainly of its time, I suppose. There, but uh, it, well, it probably gives people some some great cosplay. Oh, I, I'll tell you what. At the eighty two, the eighty five convention, you saw so many Sarah Janes wearing that outfit yeah. because that was the one that was easiest to make at the time. <laughs> but uh, also, so strikingly, visually oh, yeah. striking that yeah. yeah. And everybody knew who you were because everybody recognized the costume. It was like, oh, Sarah Jane. Yeah. I just feel like there was such such. Um, with Sarah Jane's character, there were such strides made in the way she was characterized compared to some of her predecessors um, as, as being, you know, independent, headstrong, didn't need the doctor to lead her around by the hand, um, all this stuff. And then sometimes they'd make decisions. And this is one of those that I just feel like, you know, oh, then they dress her up like she's like a five, you know, eight year old girl or something, um, you know, including the last few shots of this thing where they have her walking out in this get up, clutching her like little stuffed owl. And I don't know, just uh, it the visual of all of it clashes with everything we've come to know about Sarah at this point. And um, anyway, just not a great, it, it doesn't ruin anything for me necessarily. It's just not one of my favorite decisions, but. Right. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. The costume was not my favorite, but it definitely was iconic. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately it might be the most iconic, you know, wardrobe they ever put on uh, Liz Slayton on the show. So it's uh, 
it is what it is. It's it's memorable. I'll say that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, oh, considering uh, if you look at the contrast, the next companion's uh, costume, it's, it's yeah. shark. It's very different. <laughs> right. Yes, and then uh, <laughs> Louise Jameson's had some choice words about that costume. Yes, as well, so. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, I think even like Carolyn John had to, used to have issues with the way they dressed Liz Shaw. Why is she always in mini? I mean, they, they yeah. almost had a mini skirt going on a cave expedition, and I guess John Pertwee put his foot down on that. That doesn't make sense. She has to be in overalls. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. nobody would do that. But yeah, that was the 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 early seventies, and they were still trying to hang on to that sixties feel to the to the show. Because uh, you know Deborah Watling came out in a mini skirt, and of course she's Victorian, so she was flipping out in right, character. Like, you know this this is really <laughs> you know. Yeah, I I think that that that's kind of why I find it. A little bit disappointing that you know they make some of the decisions they made with Sarah Jane. Although Sarah Jane was treated fairly well, um, yes. yes, she was. And you can make some narrative excuses for Leela. Like obviously there was the you know right. the people like there were some comments made about well she's dressed like that so the dads have something to watch and all these you know terrible. But there is a narrative reason why she is dressed the way she's dressed. Right? Could they right. have done it differently? Okay, yeah, they probably could have. It's obviously there for eye candy a little bit, but um, yeah. You're right. It's it's costume for the talents of Wang Chang. So, <laughs> right, yeah, which yeah. is a great that's a great costume and a great story. So yeah, that's yeah. So production but. wise, I I enjoyed um, Hand of Fear. Um, mm -hmm. Like Larry said, they made some good choices, like going on the using the actual I guess they used to blast once a week at the quarry. So they decided mm -hmm. to use that for the filming it. So it comes out as a really impressive explosion. <laughs> and um, yeah, the um, the nuclear plant is a fun. Although I, even while watching, I guess for narrative convenience, it's a, it's really empty when yeah. when it needs to be. <laughs> Sarah Jane runs into maybe one person while she's walking through it. So, that's, um, yeah, that's true. There is not much of a staff there at all. No, <laughs> you don't really see anybody. You, besides, the you know, the, the, the one, the one, the, the security staff turns up. Yeah, there's the guy that like gets possessed and sticks the other guy in the um whatever you call it in the when they're in the yeah the nuclear waste oh, hole or whatever yeah like uh, the, is it a waste hole it seems silly that so. they have a waste hole in like the room where they're changing and you know doing the geiger counter on each other there would be any waste but anyway that's how it's written and that's how it plays out but yeah <laughs> it's, but um yeah i think overall it's it's well made um the special effects and costuming in this work, like you said, the hand, I think, really works well. Mm -hmm. um, there's not like a special edition version of this, so they must have felt like it was uh, it didn't need to go back and do touch ups, which I get a little bit annoyed with when they do that anyway. But I kind of right. love love the series with all of its warts and everything. But um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd yeah. also like to mention that hand again, because first time I saw that, I just had to like rewind the Blu-ray just to look at that again and say, wow, that looks really good. Yeah. And it's <laughs> yeah, they, a simple special effect where they created a glove application with a false wrist and um for the close-ups, and then they, you know, they have a um I think I'm pretty sure it was a chroma key or green or it would have been blue screen back then, but um effect for when it's crawl the few times we do see it right. moving on its own. But mm -hmm. um, first time you see it as just somebody's hand sticking out from the bottom yeah, of the box. Yeah, with the false like, wrist that kind of pops yeah. up. 
but it looks great. I mean, yeah. it doesn't take yeah. anything fancy yes. to make it. It it works. <laughs> and um, it was pretty terrifying. I mean, I remember when I saw it when I was a kid, I was like, oh, my gosh, that hand's moving. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I thought that was pretty cool, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then the costumes, I think, are fantastic. When Judith Paris emerges yes. from the yes. thing as Eldriad, I just I absolutely love her costume. Um, I love her, her performance in this as well. I actually get a little bit disappointed. And Roy, Roy Skelton's great in a different way. And I know they're trying to do a contrast with, between the two of them. But her Eldriad was so much... Um, I Just even more commanding. And like she just had this presence. And uh, I don't know. She was fantastic in this. It's, she, uh, she, was, she was great. I was... I was she, in fact, I'm, I'm sorry that she got his little screen time. Because mm -hmm. you know you don't even get to see her until almost part three, and right. uh, just a uh, you know amazing performance. You know both the ruthless and even the 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 subdued, uh, and she she really was quite you know just convincing that she was this. Uh, and later when they said, well, she molded herself after the first person she came in contact with, which would have been Sarah, and so that was that was a real interesting way to explain that, of course. And then the change later to the uh, to the the hulking stone of a guy that they got for the part four mm. right yeah i mean the nice thing about like the female elrad is that like you know you're a little uncertain about what she is when she becomes the when elrad becomes a male then he's really he's really a pretty typical heavy yeah. even down to the maniacal laughter so <laughs> Yeah, he, he he shouts yeah. everything and has a mani yeah the maniacal laugh and he's just stereotypical <laughs> like well you know. it, and he's well rehearsed because if you notice it's the same actor that played Omega in the Three Doctors mm -hmm. Stephen yep. Thorne so he had you know he definitely had that voice and that presence and you can almost if you close your eyes you almost hear you know what <laughs> you know that that whole thing from Three Doctors I'm like oh that's the same guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah and. I feel like I, I could tell not that he's not that he's exactly the same or that he's atonal as an actor, but yeah, he's got that like, you know, right. just uh, that classic kind of bad guy is just chewing the scenery and doing his thing. But yeah, like you said, he's just he's totally transparent. He is. And, and I think at that point in the story, they just had to do that like they didn't. Right. That's one of my major gripes with the story is I feel like it's paced all wrong. Like they, they right. kind of could have put some more emphasis in other places, been a little more subtle with that, that shift. I love the way Judith Paris plays it because you're not sure exactly what to think about her. Right. You're not sure if it's like, are we seeing, you know, we're, we're, are we seeing somebody who's just culturally, you know, different than us and um, who we don't quite understand how to, how to take her, you know, is she really, you know, is she really on the level or whatever, or is she, you know, really a, this bad, you know, right the bad guy of the story yeah. and you're really and unsure with her but. right and it becomes like oh my god we're, we're part four we <laughs> we gotta wrap this up yeah and, yeah. Uh, I, yeah i'll I'll put this out there because i i felt like the final scene was was written by wiley e. coyote <laughs> <laughs> the uh let's stretch the, the stretch the scarf across and oh. he goes tumbling into the abyss i'm like it is that, that was kind of a, an anti-climax for me. Oh, I, I, I was disappointed in the ending. And I, lo I, loved, I love Tom Baker in so many ways. He's just yeah. an international treasure, right? Um, but I feel like that was a Tom Baker idea. And some of, sometimes yeah. he's brilliant yeah. and he comes up with stuff. But I feel like that, it just seems like one of those things that Tom's like, oh, I've got, got this really great idea. How about we do this? And we, you know, we're, we're going to kill off the bad guy by, I'm going to stretch out the scarf and have him trip over it when I pull it tight. And it's, uh, you know, use the, use the famous scarf to, you know, off the bad guy. And um, 
first of all, it's silly. And why would that, you know, I don't think that would really trip Eldrad so badly that he, you know, tumbled into the abyss or um, second of all, it's kind of a little bit, and I know he's outed himself as he's going to kill all, you know, you know, he's going to eliminate them anyway. And, um, you know, try to reclaim his uh, or rebuild his Castrian empire by taking over the earth, going back to the earth. And he's, he's making all these threats, but, I feel like that instant judgment to, hey, let's just throw him into the abyss is a little cruel for the doctor, honestly. Like it, it's. Yeah, it didn't seem hasty. like the right decision. <laughs> I, I, you think that another, if it if it were John Pertwee's doctor, he would have negotiated his way down or, or right. done something else to maybe lock him in a something or whatever. Well, he took the ring and said, oh, he's powerless without this. And he throws it in a drawer on the TARDIS and goes back home, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, but th that was a little, like I said, it was a little strange to see that 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 mm -hmm. okay let's just do this and i'm like okay that's yeah the, like i said wily e. coyote was what came to mind very fast runner i'm pretty sure they could have gotten to the tardis before him so, oh absolutely because that has taken off <laughs> kind of lumbering yeah, he was after him waddled yeah. along and then it, it took him like how long for him to come out of that one short passageway that they had run down and uh yeah i think they could outrun him no problem uh, my thing my main gripe with it is um just it just it seems a bit like an execution from the doctor yeah. like he's made that decision and just is okay with just tossing him away which is very undoctor like and not well thought out but anyway i've had some uh, odd i mean and um no you we already discussed sunmakers and i wasn't mm -hmm. actually on that one but um that does have one of those sunmakers as one of those moments that i still find really disturbing which is where the doctor just rewires that console before he knows whatever is even going on and shocks the technician. Yeah, I mean, yep. it's I another know, one. Was he unconscious? Is he killed? What did he do? But it's like a very sort of random thing yeah. that he did. So sometimes they would have the doctor doing these things that don't really fit into the, I guess, our overall impression of what the doctor should be and usually is. So. Right. right. Well, and some of that comes from our expectations built on, you know, years and years of this still, you know, this, this show, you know, originally aired, um, you know, in, in the seventies and now it's come on, you know, this many years later, we've seen all this further character development and perhaps, you know, perhaps it wasn't quite as set in stone and we know it wasn't because they weren't really paying attention to those continuity right. notes <laughs> in between episodes and such. So um, but yeah, there are some glaring ones, and yeah, that mo that moment in the in the Sunmakers is certainly one of them. Uh, the Sixth Doctor has some multiple right. times where he he acts that yeah. way. However, it's right. a little more in line with the Sixth Doctor's character evolution than it is Tom Baker just suddenly you know pulling out the scarf and you know throwing Eldrad into the abyss. But it's uh, yeah, well, he does yeah. say that Eldrad probably isn't dead. He does, yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose that's save it. It'll with be like the curse of fatal death. Eldrad spent the next thousand years crawling out of the hole in the ground or something. Uh, yeah. the, the caves of Tar yeah. <laughs> Tarsus or whatever. Yeah, Tarsus. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that it was a. It it seemed like that it had a great start, and either the the writers couldn't figure out what to do at the end, and Tom's like, oh, "I've got, I've got an idea. Let's do that. Let's <laughs> exactly. do that. Yeah, okay, let's do that." Because I, because one of the reviews I read of this gave it a five out of ten stars, saying, "Great start, horrible ending." <laughs> See, I feel like it was just like all of this could have gone together nicely, but it spent a lot of time doing nothing in the right. first. 
And unfortunately, I will say there's a there's a uh, silver lining to that. And I think that's how we get the good characters. We get Dr. Carter and we get Abbott because it does yeah. spend some time on those things. However, it spends no time on like its climax and like all of the like, we're going to travel to an alien planet. We're only going to give a 20 minute part four to right. basically the entire crux of the story playing out you know what's happened to castria where are the people of castria how's um, right. you know who is really who is eldred really and how is he going to react to this you know his his civilization being decimated 150 million years after he was cast out right. um and we get that all in like 10 minutes of <laughs> screen time yeah. at the most we, we one also of those interesting yeah. stories where it could might have benefited from one more episode but it probably didn't need a six-part story. So yeah. <laughs> well, I almost feel like you could do it in four. Just go back and you know repace it a little bit and pick up the pace of the first two installments. But then again, I second guess myself because I really like a lot of that stuff, and the the latter two installments are a little less. They do, they do spend a lot of time with the doctor and Doctor Carter driving to the nuclear plant. Yes, <laughs> yeah. a lot of those scenes. Yeah. And... That I, I I actually like the first couple episodes, although nothing really happens until mm -hmm. the third episode. But there's a lot of stories where that's the case. Um, uh, but at the same time, I thought there was some great character development. There was some good, uh, you know, some of the good special effects. There was all those connections at the hospital and then at the nuclear plant. And yeah. you know, before we even get into the fact that oh wait, the TARDIS works now, we can go exactly where we want to go. <laughs> that's the other thing that every once in a while in the Baker era, he gets to control it, and then other times like i have no idea where it's going to end up yeah. <laughs> but that's different writers different producers and i and i i'm not sure if i'm right but it, this this might be philip hinchcliffe's last is this his last one or does he do one more after um i think he doesn't he go on into the does he do deadly like assassin and, all that? and um yeah because i'm pretty sure I think he like does. talons and like uh, yeah, a couple of I, the... I think you're right especially they really producing. get into kind of this um yeah producing um I don't know if he's script editing still or if um no i think at that time it's uh robert holmes was script editing yeah right oh, yeah. yeah robert and, holmes was but, and was he was moving that. out of script editing yeah mm -hmm. and he wrote the invisible assassin but definitely by season 15 it's a different producer so yeah and i'm looking yeah. this up i don't yeah, know this yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. i i should have probably looked into there. it but yeah hinchcliffe goes on for a while and then bob holmes comes into his like you know I don't know what would you call it, his reign as the the script editor where you kind of get classic after classic after classic um yeah um, and i think he was doing he was doing it at this point so this is one of those i mean we're talking about this era like this is this is one of those for for sure and i know bob holmes is the guy that nixed some of the um early ideas of bob baker and dave martin that was going to take this supposedly there was an entire other act of this story that he thought was too convoluted and too confusing and it sounds like it was a good decision because what they didn't really even like handle the little bit that they had here that well with them but anyway um yeah so to me i i feel like this is that's that's the major flaw of this is it's got some really wonderful things about it um the pacing kills me <laughs> yeah um, yeah and not that it's ever boring. That makes it sound like I'm saying it's boring. It's not boring. It's no. more like the story, the emphasis of what's important about the story is all off for me. Um, and we were talking about how they kind of jam everything into a 20 minute last episode. And it's really a 10 minute last episode because they take 10 minutes to do as they should to do a really, really fantastic scene. Probably the best in the classic uh, era 
arguably the best in the classic era of, of a companion's departure from the TARDIS. And that mm -hmm. is when Sarah Jane Smith leaves. So I did want to take a minute and talk about, especially you, Asad, who hasn't seen this before. Um, what did you think of the Sarah Jane Smith scene and her exit from the TARDIS? Um, I liked it. It's um, very it's well written, well performed. It does tug at your heartstrings. Um, I mean, she does get kind of irritated and ready to leave, seems kind of abruptly. But then you also realize that she wasn't actually serious about that. She was <laughs> just sort of having a bit of a temper tantrum after being possessed and going the, and everything else that has uh, happened to her um, and that she didn't really want to leave, but um, the doctor has to leave her. So yeah, I thought it was good. And I did, I mean, as I said, I hadn't seen this before. So I think it was a little unfair for her to say in school reunion that the doctor left her in the middle of nowhere. I mean, <laughs> he left her somewhere where she can catch a bus or something or train to wherever she needs to go. So he didn't leave her at the quarry or something. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just kind of a, a joke throughout getting her back to South Croydon and he was so sure that, oh yeah, here we are. And then, oh, it's not even the right place. Like, yeah, I do think it was unfair for when she comes back to say she he left her off in the middle of nowhere because at least she's in the right time period, right? She can catch a bus and get home. But um, Larry, what were your thoughts upon, well, thoughts upon seeing this as a, as a child and then, well, uh, you know, what you I, think of it now? And When I first saw it, I was very disappointed that we were losing Sarah Jane because I had seen Sarah Jane from the John Pertwee era through all of these things. And I thought, Oh, it's always, you know, I thought, I thought it would always be the doctor Sarah Jane, you know, cause you didn't, I didn't know anything else, of course, at the time, but um, of course, then uh, the next episode with no um, uh, companion, which was also interesting in its its own uh, way. I, I honestly thought uh, it was it was kind of a sad way to go because I thought, you know, she's like, oh, wait, Gallifrey, I can't miss that. And he's like, oh, I can't take you there. It's not allowed. And I'm like, what do you mean it's not allowed? You know, there was this, this in a, and the same time too, I'm also just to go one more thing. I, I was never a fan of the old console room. So that was that was something that bothered me throughout those episodes. But I really reading, you know, being older and looking back, they, the original console room had been you know, falling apart for a long time. And they said, we just don't have the budget to fix it, but we can rig this up real quick and, you know, do this and say, yeah, it's got another one. <laughs> you know, we just invent stuff as we go. But um, the ending, uh, and of course, uh, you know, she's whistling as she's walking away. And then I read later that she wasn't, she didn't know how to whistle. So they had to overdub the whistling. Uh, the director did the whistling. Yeah. So, um, but uh, it was it was kind of interesting. She goes, "This is probably isn't even South Croydon," and I and doesn't I think there's a little dog that comes up to her. Yep. Yeah. And I, it's, so it's a, it was kind of after the TARDIS leaves, it was kind of like, okay, well that's it. And of course, she doesn't see it again until school reunion. But mm -hmm. um, and I'm glad that that happened too. So that was a that was a very fun episode to see and. Uh, I, I'll, I'll never forget Mickey's famous line. Oh, you're the missus and the ex, every man's nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, yeah. it was great. And David Tennant completely lived up to it. And, uh, oh, yeah. I, and uh, just, uh, just a really great character. I, I met Liz uh, Sladen twice in my life, once in 85 and 
once at one of the visions conventions um years ago and so she just is a very kind she was a very kind person and loved her fans and and really um loved the the excitement that went with being a doctor who person but i you know it's still you know i also understand she did not share her cancer diagnosis with anybody outside of her yeah. family so it was a, a shock to everyone when they announced that she passed and i i don't know if you've ever seen tom baker's talking about it yeah, there's a video of him and he just completely loses it because yep. he was very close to her i've seen him talk i think i've seen that video i seen him yeah. talk about it you know subsequently and he he still can't really <laughs> yeah he, he yeah, said they, it, was, it was really hard on him and uh he uh he was very close to his you know you know as, as far as aloof as the actor is he was very close to everybody he worked with in the series and any series he worked in and i guess the uh, uh when uh, when tom baker did monarch of the glen they absolutely loved him on that because he was comic relief and he just enjoyed uh everybody's company and he said he had everybody around to his house for dinner and stuff like that it was just that that's the kind of guy he was um and but uh, I still, I'll never forget Sarah Jane leaving. And I, I felt really bad, you know, this is it for Sarah Jane and we don't see Sarah Jane ever again. And, uh, but you know, yeah. Leela, Leela came on and, you know, we just kind of moved on. You know, I was also the same, I felt the same way when Romana one was gone. So <laughs> yeah, you, you learned that that first changeover, it's kind of like your first regeneration, right? It's that first changeover. And then later you learn like, Oh, this is, this, this happens like this. Is right. Like People come show, and go. But, and yeah, you know, so. when, when Joe Grant left, I was, I was upset as well. So, but you know, then again, it's, it's one of those as, as you know, when you watch it through young eyes and I think, you know, the, if, if any listeners are out there are, are younger uh, listeners or younger viewers uh, you know, you take that in, you, you know, when you're watching it for the first time as a child, you know, you, you get attached to all of the characters that you're, you're watching as a, as you're a big fan of the show. And then all of a sudden there's a huge change, like a regeneration or, cause it took me a while to accept Tom Baker as the doctor. Cause I grew up watching John Pertwee. And right. when I, when I first tuned in Dr. Who, I didn't know who it was and I turned it off again, but it took me a while to come back to it. And I thought, Oh, then I saw the end of Planet of the Spiders and said, oh, I get it now. So it kind of I said, OK, I get it and we'll we'll do that. But I, I know um, everybody felt that way at the end of Legopolis, too. It was like a part yeah. of your childhood is now gone because Tom Baker is no longer the doctor. And uh, right. that's that's, uh, you know, it's it's yeah, it can be very emotional. So, yeah, I, I think this scene is. Well, and I said that earlier, it arguably, I, I feel like it's probably the best departure that the classic series got because they, yeah, they got it. And I, and I know, I know that um, Bob Holmes and Philip Hedgecliffe came in. I don't know who actually penned the scene, but it was not a Bob Baker, Dave Martin uh, scene. Right. Um, they, they put it together as kind of an epilogue to their script and perhaps damaged their script a little bit i don't know i'm not sure how it reads on the page but they did give a you know a substantial chunk to part four to this but it plays as one of the, i think the best departure scene and it's not necessarily from the page the right. page the page you know it, it, it's good it's still a good scene it's a great scene because of the actors and the way that they play it they do so much that's not you know in the lines and that's not um you know, so much with their performance that you really feel the connection between these two characters. Like you, you could have two other people play the scene and maybe not get that out of it, but it's just in the way, you know, that the way that Tom Baker just like, 
I don't know, the, the kind of like almost love that's exuding from him and disappointment and uh, all of these things. And uh, Sarah Jane, just the shock of the whole thing, because she was, she was, she was, you know, she just wanted the doctor to like say, you know, I recognize that you're having a hard time, you know, like she just wanted the doctor to be like, Sarah, are you okay? You know, and, right. and, and, um, she didn't really want to leave. She was just, you know, fed up with the doctor kind of like, oh, you were possessed. Great. You're good now. Let's go off to the next thing. Kind right. Of. You know, she wanted that moment of, you know, somebody to reassure her, like, you know, everything's going to be okay. You're, you know, uh, and she wasn't getting that. And so she was upset and throwing a bit of a tantrum um, and, you know, and uh, then to find out like, oh, I really am leaving. This really is over. Um, you know, just kind of that shock and she, she plays it so well. And, um, the couple of lines, you know, like, don't you, don't you forget about me? And, you know, um, as she makes her exit and then just, uh, I think his line is, Oh, Sarah, well, don't you forget about me? Um, I mean, those are just lines, right? Like anybody could right. say, if you, you could play that totally differently, but for some reason that the performance, it's like, you know, you're getting that, uh, you know, the tears welling up like, oh, I'm not crying, you're crying, you know, like, um, right, right. it's it's suddenly a really emotional like scene. And that's, that's the performances. It's, a, it's incredible. It's one of the best scenes from classic who, and I that's agree. why, you know, I'll always come back to the hand of fear. Cause you know, although it's an imperfect story, um, it does have those moments. I mean, there's, there's all those strengths throughout it. Like there's good side characters, there's great costumes, special effects. Um, there's absolutely pitch perfect Dr. Companion banter and um, back and forth from Tom and Liz in this, and I love it. Um, the story is kind of rubbish, but you get this scene to cap it all off. It's hard not to walk away from this with the big smile on your face, uh, even though it's probably not the best Doctor Who story, in it, my opinion. So. It was it was a good way to end the season, and that's uh, I I think uh, that was definitely was, the uh, or. or it was Deadly Assassin the last one. I was going to say, wasn't this a, a mid-season? Um, I'm might... looking at the list. And actually oh, yeah, yeah. It goes yeah, on to Planet, of, yeah, Planet Dead... of Evil. Yeah, Planet of Evil is the next season. But uh, yeah. to bring this kind of... Well, I I don't know. It's 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 weird because I always feel like this was the end of one season. It, it feels era, like it. And then Deadly <laughs> Assassin was a placeholder. And, mm -hmm. and then you have a new season completely. It was kind of like the huge misstep they did when they followed up the caves of Androzani with the twin dilemma and then had a season break. Yes. <laughs> like that that, that yeah. left a lot of people a lot of time to go. I don't know about this. <laughs> Sorry. Aside, were you going to say something? And I was just saying that like season four, I'm looking at the lists of season 14, the talons of Wang Chang was the last episode of season 14. This was, the second story. Oh yeah, I guess you're yeah. right. Yeah, season fourteen. And followed by Deadly Assassin. Yeah, yeah I was gonna right. say I think this was actually yeah. early in the season, and it just it. But it does. I agree with you, Larry. It feels like an ending because it's you know it's the ending of that. But it right. feels yeah. this could certainly have been a season finale. It, right. Oh, yeah. it, it feels like you should have you know like uh, in most I know most seasons uh, you know going back to the earlier Doctors you know when you finished you know, the, the green death was the end of the season and it was a good place for companions to leave or Inferno when that was the end of the season, when Liz Shaw left or, you know, the war games or the previous, you know, wheel in space when things changed over, you know, it, it was just kind of interesting how uh, they did this mid season. And I, right. you know, cause I, I'm, I'm looking at this the same way. I'm like, yeah, that's the same season all the way to horror of Fang rock. And, all the yeah. and planet you know planet of evil is all in the same season and i thought well that's really not part of that same it's it's such thing. a like 
yeah. big shift in the series that it's strange, especially when we're used to modern television now, that it's strange that that's right at the beginning of a season. Honestly, it's the second story, I think. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so. But, but start, anyway, yeah. I was okay, going to say, should, no. should probably start ra wrapping this thing up, yeah. but uh, I want to, um, before we do go on to tell, talk about our final thoughts on it, I did want to share somebody, a, a, a favorite review that I came across of this. And this is from um, Neil Perryman's great book, if you haven't read it, Adventures with the Wife in Space. And uh, it, all about showing his wife classic Doctor Who episodes, which is obviously something I attempted and kind of failed at, at getting her in, in, <laughs> involved in. Um, but Sue Perryman, who is, is Neil's wife, uh, gave this um, this fantastic review. And it reads this, The Hand of Fear. Good, very good, good, shit, really shit, <laughs> then excellent. Six out of ten. So... <laughs> And I think that pretty much sums up a lot of my feelings. I'm going to echo that probably uh, <laughs> about this. So. One of those stories where kind of the problem has sort of been resolved without the doctor actually getting involved with it. Kestrians kind of took care of the issue by themselves. So. <laughs> yep. He's just there to throw the scarf across the... <laughs> Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's go around and do uh, final thoughts, and let's give this thing a grade out of uh, let's do five Castrian crystals for this one. Um, Assad, um, what do you th what do you think? You see, so I just saw it for the first time. So. Uh, I guess um, I was um, quite um, happy to find one of the few that and was unexpected um, few. South Asian characters to appear in classic uh, Doctor Who mm -hmm. with the uh, intern in the hospital. <laughs> um, That's right. Yeah, I should have should have mentioned, but yeah, uh, Renu Setna, I believe. Yeah. Is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually I quite appreciated the low body count of the extras because even most of the people zapped by the ring are just unconscious. Doctor Who is not usually all that merciful <laughs> to all the extras wandering around, and. Um, I know that the production team was trying to sort of wind them out, but this was really like a pretty good place for unit to at least have its an, a name check, if not an actual appearance. So, <laughs> uh, but I'm a big unit fan, so I'm always looking for just a minute. Where's unit? Yeah, I feel like they belonged here. Like that was an omission from the script that felt like that was that should have been here, but. Right. And um, yes, and uh, overall, I think I would give it, uh, generally it's three Castrians, but with the farewell of uh, Sarah, I'd probably go up to four. Great, yeah. What do you think, Larry? Um, I'm more apt to give it about three and a half Castrian crystals, just because they're, like I said, it starts off, like it starts off good, but then it, it, the ending just, you know, uh, one review I read said it was very pear-shaped uh, as far as yeah. uh, and and of course, um, just the the final, you know, um, Stephen Thorne trying to do his best Brian Blessed. Doctor! And just and yeah, it it kind of, you know, for me, as I've seen it many times and I still I'd watch it again. It's just a it's a it's a story that, uh, of course, the, the ending, of course, makes it worthwhile to see the final uh sarah jane departure but um as far as the 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 ending of how it all ended on castria i thought well they could have yeah and again i agree with assad unit should have been on the ground for alien intelligence you know somebody if, if not nicholas courtney somebody from unit should have showed up and uh taken care of that but 
obviously yeah. they they couldn't do it or i guess it was part of the original story but then they threw it out anyway but but that's my that's my review on that yeah i i think i showed most of my cards already when uh telling you guys what i what i thought of this and agreeing with sue perryman's wonderful review but overall i think this is kind of a middle of the road doctor who story but there's so many strengths in it that it makes it one that i never mind revisiting like it's it's uh it's a lot of fun to watch and that's the strength of the supporting cast um just the doctor and sarah jane being the doctor and sarah jane at their like peak and it, they're great um and it's it's all about that last scene really i mean that thing mm -hmm. just it just nails it the story itself is pretty you know so so oh and um again i can't mention enough times how great judith paris is in oh, this as, as LJ. yes so, yes uh, i enjoy it. she she is cemented as one of my you know favorite bads in uh <laughs> um who history because of that performance but um yeah, so it's it's hard it's hard to dislike it, but it's also hard to love it. So I think I'm going to go with 3.5 out of five Castrian crystals for for this one. Um, but it is a 3.5 that I will probably find myself watching again in the future. <laughs> yes, <laughs> got so many. It's got so many great moments. So, but yeah, so that is the the hand of fear, and I'm glad uh, we did this. So you got a chance to see it, yeah. Asad. Though it's <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I always I, I love those those moments. And, it, you know, in a lot of ways, this podcast is an excuse to fit those things into my life, you know, like either rewatching something I haven't seen in a while or getting a chance to read or watch something I haven't seen before. So then right. getting, you know, a chance to talk to you know good friends about it. It's a it's a I pretend it's, you know, work or something I have to do, but it's really just, you know, forcing myself to have fun. So sometimes Absolutely. we have to do that. Oh, <laughs> this is <Yes>. true. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I like we do at the end of every episode of the Police Box and the Junkyard Podcast, it is time to fire up the randomizer and see what we're going to be doing for the next episode. And um, I'm going to go ahead and do this live. Asad, do you want to go ahead and push the button? And there you go. And let's see where we ended up for next month. We will be watching the sixth Doctor adventure, well, the two Doctors, which is actually Whoa. a second Doctor adventure as well. That's so a good, that's a good one. Yeah, that's one that I have always found that I enjoy quite a bit, and have always found it uh, to be controversial when I mention that. So I think it'll be an interesting one uh, to to watch. So um, I'm ready to raise the controversy now. <laughs> oh. And I've got a great story about how I first saw it. So. Uh, <laughs> Well, maybe you guys will have to come back and, and join yeah. us again next month on the Police Box and Junkyard podcast for the two doctors. But uh, yeah, so until then, thank you everybody for listening. And um, we will continue next month to explore the universe. I'm Eric O'Branson, and my guests have been Larry Van Mersbergen of the Doctor Who Collectors podcast and Asad Keski of, uh, well, of the Police Box and the Junkyard podcast. So <laughs> thanks for joining me, guys. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for having us. Bye. Thanks again for listening. I hope you will consider joining us next time for our discussion about a Doctor Who television story, as well as our discussions about Doctor Who audio adventures, both audio books and audio plays. Also, we will be doing discussions of Doctor Who novels, nonfiction books, and other fun stuff. Until next time, I have been your host, Eric O'Branson, and this has been the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. 
Special thanks to all of our guests and contributors. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud member of the Video Junkyard podcast family and can be found on most major podcast providers including SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Podcast Addict, and Spotify. Doctor Who theme composed by Ron Grainer, arranged as Doctor Who retro theme by Neon Frontier. All rights to Doctor Who and its related materials belong to the BBC. Van Mersbergen, host and producer of the Doctor Who Collectors Podcasts. Now that you're listening to a thorough discussion of random Doctor Who episodes, why not find them on the Target book range, or the hardcover, or anything else with Doctor Who? For all things Doctor Who collectibles, tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and everywhere you find your Doctor Who podcasts. Also a proud member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. You're listening to Police Box in a Junkyard Podcast. You ask him, he may show it. He simply elevates a stone where you want I would throw it. Hello, fellow time travelers. I'm Tony Witt with the Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast, the podcast in which we undertake the insert adjective here task of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. I'm joined by... Dalton Hughes. And by... Alison Fitzsafry. And we record our episodes twice a month. Enjoy your travels. <laughs>